This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Welcome to The Art of Change on High Stakes. I'm David Schifrin. In this conversation, Gerard Partner and Chief Development Officer Ann Hancock-Toomey talks with Warner Thomas about the shape of healthcare going forward, particularly as it relates to partnerships and growth for healthcare providers. Thomas is president and CEO of Auctioner Health based in New Orleans, Louisiana, and just recently rotated out of a six-year term on MedPAC. Throughout this conversation, it's easy to see how Thomas's perspective on where we go next has been shaped by his front row seat and direct involvement in advising on healthcare policy and leading healthcare organizations. As always, please subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast for more conversations with leading healthcare voices. Warner, welcome to the High Stakes Podcast, and thanks for spending time with me today to talk about leadership during what is most certainly a tumultuous time in our industry and in our country. Thanks for the opportunity. Look forward to the discussion. Why don't we start big picture? Having served on MedPAC for the last several years, I think your term ended in May of this year, you have certainly had a front row seat for the discussion on our our nation's unsustainable rising cost of care. And I'm really curious about your thoughts on payment and policy reform in the wake of COVID. Yeah. So first of all, it was an honor to be able to serve on MedPAC for six years. Uh, I learned a lot going through that process. Um, You know, the Medicare program is very complicated. It's a challenging situation. I would say the MedPAC leadership and the staff and the commissioners are all top-notch and do an extremely good job addressing a very, very difficult situation. I think the the fundamentals around Medicare are are this. And if you step back and look at it from a pure macro perspective, when Medicare was started, the life expectancy of an American was 65. And the eligibility age was 65. So if you won the life lottery and lived beyond the life expectancy of 65, you got Medicare. Today, with life expectancy, 73, 74, 75, depending on which metric you look at, lots of people go into Medicare. Uh, When the program was started, we had about 6.2, 6.3 workers per every person that was in Medicare. Today, we have about 3.8, and it's dropping over the next couple of years. So as we see more people age into Medicare. So that's just a very unsustainable situation. It's pure math right? It's pure math. It just doesn't work. So with that being said, that's why I just don't see lots of additional dollars going into the Medicare system. The reality is, if we really had the political will to do it, we we should see the eligibility age for Medicare increase. It should go up because, frankly, it's not affordable at 65. And that's probably not going to happen politically, but that's probably what should happen. And you know, what we have going on now is just not sustainable. I personally feel that until you change the incentive mechanisms in the Medicare program and move away from pure fee-for-service and into more global payment like ACOs or like Medicare Advantage, I, I just don't see us making marked change in the escalation of the traditional Medicare fee-for-service cost. I just don't see that happening. People are moving into Medicare Advantage. ACOs are starting to have an impact, but there has to be a much bigger escalation of moving more people into those programs and uh, more upside for providers if they do a good job managing 
the cost of people that they receive upside because there's a very big cost to position yourself to take risk in these programs. So my my hope for the country and for the Medicare program is there is more alignment of economic risk with the providers. I think we'll end up taking better care of people and I think we'll do it more cost effectively. But I, I know there's there's various degrees of appetite to move in that direction. Thanks for that perspective. So helpful and so right on. But putting aside sort of the uncertainty about what what people are going to be willing to do and how our, our payment system may or may not change, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty out there. And healthcare leaders are, are still having to make decisions about where to take their organizations, both sort of short-term, near-term, long-term. And I hear you talk about your, your point of view, your leadership team's point of view for the future. And I'd love to hear more about that. So, you know, our point of view is a few things. One, we think that scale is going to continue to be a very, very important consideration for organizations in the future. Uh, If you look at the size of the insurers, the pharma companies, the pharmacy distribution companies, the distributors, the medical device companies, compared to the size of the health systems, I mean, they dwarf the size of the health system. So I think scale is really important, and it's certainly important as you create a digital footprint, and certainly important as you think about supplies and back office services and cost structure. You know, second, we believe in um, moving upstream towards the insurance dollar and making sure that we position ourselves to take more risk in the future. And we will always have referral care that's fee for service, but at the same time, we want to move more care to a global type of payment because we think that aligns the incentives of the patient, the employer, or the government with the delivery system so that we're all moving in the right direction. We think that this idea of a digital footprint is really important. It's digital marketing, it's telehealth, it's digital medicine where we can manage chronic diseases from a digital perspective for people when they're at home. We believe more care is gonna be in the home versus in our organizations. And if you think about our point of view, and it's just a fact, I mean, more people are going to be in government funded healthcare programs in the future than what we see today. So I think these are some of the points of view. So then you have to direct your health system to be able to address these various points of view and to position yourself successfully in that type of world. And some aren't going to make it. I would assume, right? They're not, they're not ready. They haven't invested. They don't have the same point of view. So they're not in a position to come out of this and thrive. And to, to that end, in terms of, of mergers and acquisitions and strategic partnerships in the, in the hospital space in particular, I know you've got some growth initiatives underway. We see a lot of health systems that are sort of in wait and see mode right now. But what is your, what's your prediction, particularly for hospitals? I mean, are, are we going to see a lot of, of consolidation on the horizon, uh, a move to major nationals or super regionals? Yeah. I think you are going to see more consolidation. I think you're going to see more nationals and super regionals quite frankly. And when people say, well, hospitals aren't going to make it, I don't think that's the case. I think I think what's going to happen is you're going to see more hospitals struggle. And I think you're going to see a, a greater differential between, you know, the haves and the ones that are performing well and the ones that are that are not. I think that divide is going to get bigger. And the ability to invest and to address change in the future is going to is going to widen. 
So I think those things are definitely going to be drivers, which is going to lead to more consolidation and more organizations joining together. And, and not necessarily from a position of weakness. I mean, I think this is, you're seeing strong organizations decide to come together to position themselves better for the future. Lafayette General is a strong organization in Western Louisiana. Auctioner is a strong organization. We're coming together because we think it's a, it's going to make us both better. And other large organizations, the recent announcement with Beaumont looking to join Advocate Aurora. I mean, those are strong organizations, but they're deciding to work together or merge together because they think they can address the future together better than they can separately. And I think you're going to see more of those types of combinations occur in the future. We, we all know that from a healthcare perspective, if we're going to see healthcare organizations be successful and, and the health of the population get better, I think health systems are the best position to drive that, not government, not insurers. And so I think it's incumbent upon us as health systems to position ourselves where we can have a positive impact on more patients, positive impact on our communities, and ultimately the health status of the people we take care of. All right, let's move from big picture to the topic of the hour, of course, COVID-19. We all know that New Orleans was an early hotspot for COVID-19 beginning, I guess, in early March, and Auctioner has been right in the middle of the crisis. Take a minute and tell us what you're experiencing today related to the latest COVID surge. So I think we are seeing kind of a second, you know, wave or surge starting today. It's not as severe as the first surge at this point. If you go back to late March and early April, where we saw the first surge and peak, we we peaked at about 900 uh, inpatient, COVID inpatients in our organization. Today, we sit at about 225, but that's up from probably about three weeks ago where we had about 50 COVID inpatients. So we are seeing an escalation. We certainly are watching it carefully. I think our governor has handled the whole COVID crisis extremely well. He recently, just this past week, called for, you know, masks being worn in, in public, you know, all the time, all locations. He, he actually closed bars, you know, restaurants and those types of things are open, but and he's taken some of the appropriate steps to try to get this second wave under control. But we certainly, as we've, you know, opened more businesses, opened restaurants, opened more venues, have seen an escalation in this second wave and at a very different type of patient, uh, a much younger patient, the demographics are, are very different and in this July escalation than what we saw in, in late March and early April. So Warner, given your experience over the last, gosh, now four months or so, but particularly the, the first 60 days of COVID, do you have any advice for other CEOs or healthcare leaders, particularly in, in Florida and Texas and Arizona, California, elsewhere, that are really just now where you were back in March or April? You know, I think the, and, and I've got, you know, colleagues in lots of those areas have been talking to them. And I would say, I mean, the, the first thing that you run into is really just a staffing challenge because hotspots like Houston and Dallas and Phoenix and areas like that are, are needing to take, you know, significant amounts of staff. So I think staffing is a big issue to try to stay ahead of. Mm -hmm. And and to make sure that you're putting the right attention there. 
I think second, and just our view is communication is critical when you're going through situations like this. I mean, we have uh, upped our communication going back to when we went through the first escalation and peak at the beginning of, you know, end of, of March, beginning of April. You know, we went to huddles with our team two to three times a day, open forums with our physicians every week, physician leadership daily. You know, this whole idea of upping your communication, creating lots of transparency about what's going on in the organization. What are the challenges you're facing? What are you doing about it? But everything you can do as a leader to enhance transparency and enhance communication as you go through these challenging times, I think really just helps any organization get through the process easier, create clarity and direction within the organization and have folks have a venue to get questions answered uh, and also for the leadership to be able to have issues raised that can be addressed quickly. So I, I just think communication is, is critical and leadership, which we can talk about later, is, is critical as you go through this. And that's not something you do when you go into a disaster. That's something you've got to be doing years and years in advance to be ready for situations like COVID and, and other types of stressful situations. You know, that's really good advice. And I'd love to hear more about about your experience. Can you describe the the past few months for for your team, your leadership team, your employees, your physicians who have just been right in the middle of this crisis together? So I think it's been, you know, just like everybody, it's been stressful. It's been stressful for a number of reasons. One, just dealing with the pressure of escalating and taking care of so many COVID patients when we went through the first spike. You know, we opened up about 120 new ICU beds in about 10 days. We moved to manufacturing our own PPE, you know, using local vendors. We had to do all kinds of different things that all in a time that it was just, you know, really in crisis response. And I think our team did a great job going through that. Then, you know, with shelter in place and all those, we kind of came down to inpatients, census dropped, folks were not in the clinics. It was kind of this lull and people are uncertain about the future and what's going to happen and how's this going to work. And, and, and we still are in that same place today. Are schools going to open or not? Are, when are restaurants going to open or not? Do we have sports or not? Are people going to come back or not? And I think this ambiguity is a real constant stressor for people in our industry, but I think society in, in general. And nobody has the answer because nobody really knows, right? I mean, it's all dependent upon personal responsibility and how society acts as we go through this process. Do we take the proper precautions of wearing masks and sheltering if we are sick and quarantining appropriately? And nobody, nobody knows how that's going to play out. And that that stress, I think, is on every executive, every executive team in healthcare and across every industry. And, and it's difficult to operate and figure out how do you pick the certain directions and the certain no regrets moves. And that's how we've looked at it. We have a point of view of the future. We have no regrets moves that we feel make sense regardless of what happens. We continue to ramp our services back up and make sure we're a safe place to work, a safe place for patients to be seen making sure we have the right offerings for people, communicating a lot with our patients. So these are things that are no regrets moves, but at the same time, you've got to make certain strategic moves. I mean, we're, you still have to make those bigger strategic moves while you're working day to day on taking care of 
you know, the second wave of COVID patients and making sure your clinics are open and operating effectively to have patients come back. So you really got to, you know, work uh, both of these in this uncertain environment, but you, you've got to make educated bets. You've got to create a point of view of the future and move towards that point of view and understand that 30 days from now, 45 days from now, 60 days from now, you may have new information and different information. You might have to adjust. You know, some people have told me, well, you're changing your position. That's not only we're changing our positions. We have different information today and we're adjusting how we think we need to move forward. And I, I call that being smart and being responsive to what happens and what's in looking at the market. Others would say, well, you change your mind. I think it's, I think it's about being responsive and agile based upon what happens in, in the region. You know, last week we had our largest clinic visit uh, week in the history of the organization. You go eight weeks ago, we probably had some of the worst weeks Mm -hmm. in our organization. This is a very, very different time. It's a roller coaster, no doubt. I'm going to shift gears on you just a little bit. Also, of course, in the in the midst of of COVID over the last few weeks, our nation has awakened to the critical issue of racial injustice. Obviously, an, an issue that is ever present for healthcare leaders serving the needs of diverse and, and often marginalized populations. What is the role of the of a health system and its leadership in responding to the deep, challenging social issues that are being discussed today? So I think the I think there needs to be better collaboration and coordination between the public health system of our communities, our states, our country, and the health systems. And I think that health systems are in a unique position to be able to help there from a not just a resource perspective, but the ability to run entities, to run clinics, to figure out how we can address some of these challenges together. You know, Ochsner is embarking upon a strategy to open more community health centers across the state of Louisiana and targeting underserved areas. And our focus is to, to do our part to help address health disparities and to address areas that, you know, frankly, are underserved. And we believe that it's the right thing to do. We believe that we can have an impact. But at the same time, we've got to do that in partnership with the state and with the communities that we're in, because we can't do it alone. I I do think that a a harder look at where public health dollars go, how they're distributed, is, is something that could be looked at. And I think health systems should come alongside our state entities and try to play a role in helping to think about what that should look like in the future. I think COVID-19 pointed this out significantly. The first spike in in Louisiana definitely was, had a bigger impact on the African-American population, definitely had a a bigger impact on the lower socioeconomic components of of our region uh, and folks that had chronic diseases that were not managed well. And frankly, there were lives lost because uh, chronic disease has not been managed well in lower socioeconomic folks. And so I think we play a role there. We can't do it on our own, but I do think we can play a, a bigger role and have a, a much bigger impact. And that's part of how we think about it. And I, and I do think there's a much bigger opportunity in all states to do this in a much more collaborative fashion. All right. I have one more question for you. Sure. 
So we've talked about COVID and social injustice and payment reform and healthcare disparities. We haven't even covered the blows to our economy or the politics of the hour. We're not going to go there, but I do think it's right. safe to say that we're in, we're living in a defining moment in our nation's history and, and, and certainly for healthcare specifically. Given all of this, what is the mindset of a, of a health system CEO today? You know, I think it's, um, I guess, a couple of things. One, it's a very challenging time in our country and certainly in health systems. You know, I do think, I, I just finished reading Bob Iger's book, um, you know, the former it's CEO. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a great book. And he talks about optimism in the book. And, and I would say that probably over the past decade, I have learned personally how to lead with a lot more optimism than maybe I did the previous decade before that. And, and Iger says in his book, you know, nobody wants to work for a pessimist. It doesn't mean you can be blindly optimistic, but you have to be optimistic about the future. You have to look for the good in things and you have to make that optimism a reality and manage towards that, that reality. So I, I just think we have to be optimistic about, about the future. We have to take these difficult challenges on. It is a very stressful time for anybody, frankly. But I think, you know, running a large organization where you have a, you know, a lot of responsibility for a lot of people and, and a lot of moving parts, it's, it's challenging, but we got a lot of talented people in the industry. There's a lot of good information and idea sharing in the industry. And, and we'll, be, we'll be fine as we go through this, but it, it is going to take uh, unique skill sets, a high level of optimism. And I think the other component that I would put out there is that, and this is just my own personal view, is that there's leaders that are divisive and there's leaders that are unifiers. And I think we need to be, at this time, we need to be unifiers um, within our organizations, within our communities, and pull people together, work together on issues. Like I said, we need to work with the public health department, not, not criticize them, not pass judgment on them. They got a tough job too. So I think we got to be working together where we can and try to lend support to each other to make our communities, our states, and, and our country better. And that's one of the things I, I really found in MedPAC. I felt like I was doing a service to the government, to the country, trying to help guide the Medicare program. And I think that's what we have to all do is, is be stewards of thinking how we can do good things and try to guide the thinking and the direction of, of the healthcare system. Because there are a lot of things that, that work really well in the healthcare system, and there are a lot of things that don't. And as healthcare leaders, we have to have the courage to take them on, to be honest of the things that don't work well, and really um, try to push ourselves to the next level. Well, I'm inspired. Let's go. Let's go change things. Yeah. All right, Warner, I have 47 more questions for you, but I think we're at our time. I can't thank you enough for today, your time, your ever invaluable insights, and good luck to you and, and your team as you guys continue to weather this storm. Thanks, Anne. I appreciate the opportunity, and it's good to chat with you, and hopefully some of the information has been helpful to you and or the folks listening out there.